Thank you for listening to our second edition of Risen uh, Podcast. And this is about making disciples. And we're trying to learn how to follow Jesus and to fulfill the Great Commission, not only in our own city, but also uh, throughout our own country and across the continents. And today I want to talk to you about the way words change over a lifetime or over a generation spans. Like, I remember when I was young, the word cool was, that meant something was really great. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. In high school, man, that's cool. And then it seems like cool dropped out of popularity and then things became hot. Oh, that's really hot, that's good. And it meant the same thing, but it was an entirely different word. And so sometimes in our lifetime, words can begin to evolve to mean something differently than what we've always thought about them before. And I believe the word church is one of those words that has evolved into meaning something different than it did when I first uh, was young. You know, matter of fact, even just to illustrate that, as I say the word church, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? I mean, for a lot of people, if you say that, they think of the building that they drive to every Sunday, and that's my church, and that's where I go to church. And so if they think about anything about church, it's that. And the unfortunate thing is when you get that concept of church being that place you go to or that building where you meet with other people, then church is only relevant in your life for whatever time you spend in that building with the other people. The problem is, is I think that when Jesus used the word church and what we see in the Bible, it's talking about something totally different than a building or even the time or place or the other people that we meet with. The word church is a living organism. It's a body, and the body is not just in one city, in Oklahoma City or in Detroit or Chicago or overseas, in uh, Jerusalem or Bangkok or whatever. The, The church is Christ's body that's alive. Peter calls the church the living stones of the temple, and So that means that we all make up part of the church. And we can't go to church in those words because we are the church. And we're supposed to live as the church 24-7. Every moment that God gives us to live life, we are his church. We are his representatives. We are the ones that uh, are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share it with the world and not just meet on Sunday together and then go away and live our life for the rest of the week the way that we want to. One of the things that I came across not long ago in the last couple of years is that uh, the very first command, what is the very first command in the Bible? And most people try to think of the Ten Commandments and uh, they look at either the Exodus or the Deuteronomy passage and they start quoting that and That's good if you're talking about the Ten Commandments, but the very first command that God gave to people was the command to Adam and Eve in the garden when he said, go, be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth. And so he wanted Adam and Eve to expand the the population of the human race, and he gave them that mandate. Of course, then we all know about how man became sinful, and God regretted that he had ever created mankind, and he wiped mankind off the face of the earth with a flood. But in his grace, he saved Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, and he brought them out of the ark after he cleansed the earth. And God, for the second time, reiterated this command. He said to Noah and his sons, go, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the three sons of Noah began to do that. And it doesn't take long after Genesis 8 when they come out of the ark till you find that people now have uh, 
literally turned against what God told the descendants of Noah to do, was to go and fill the earth. They decided they wanted to congregate in cities. And they began to congregate, and they said, hey, let's build a tower. And of course, that's the Tower of Babel, and everybody knows about that, and everybody thinks that that's where they said they're going to build a tower to the skies and become God. And that's really what not what the temple they were building was for. It was for religious purposes, and they were building this temple to the heavens, and at the top of this temple would be a shrine to a certain god or goddess. And they were hoping that that god or goddess would be so impressed with what they built that that god or goddess would come down and dwell among them. And so they decided they wanted to just congregate and not feel there. They were doing the exact opposite of what God had told the descendants of Noah to do, was to go and fill the earth. They decided, no, we're going to live together in cities. And so God, looking down from heaven, decided that he was still going to get his will accomplished. And so he came down and he confused their languages. And what did the people do? They scattered. They still fulfilled the word of God. Even in their rebellion, God's will was still done. Now, there was a third time that uh, we have this mandate. And Jesus, uh, after he was raised from the dead, was meeting with his disciples. And he was telling them, he uh, said, you know, I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And then even in the book of Acts, right before the ascension takes place, Jesus said, before you go, go back to the room and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. He said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, he was giving the same kind of mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve and to the descendants of Noah. He was telling the church, he said, I want you to go throughout the world. I want you to scatter and share the good news. Well, we know the story that 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples that were in the upper room, and they went into the streets of Jerusalem. They began preaching the gospel, and and Peter gave that first great sermon in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And it's interesting that when a church building It was out in the streets. It was in the marketplace that Peter was proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Well, things began to happen. And man, the church was, the people were finding favor with everybody. And the Lord just kept adding to their number daily. And pretty soon we see them up to 5,000. And they are celebrating. They're going, isn't this great what God is doing among us? But God said, I don't want you to stay in Jerusalem. He said, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, but the people got comfortable wanting to stay in Jerusalem. And then Stephen went out into the streets and he was too fulfilling uh, the call that God had placed on his life. And he was speaking to people about Jesus and it turned on him. And the people got so mad, they drugged uh, Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And in Acts chapter eight, it tells us that on that day, a great persecution uh, spread throughout Jerusalem against the church. And the believers were scattered. So what God was wanting done with the church was to scatter and to share the gospel. When the church was trying to congregate and hoard themselves in Jerusalem, God had to intervene with the church, just like he did at the Tower of Babel, to get the people to do what he wanted. And through that martyrdom of uh, Stephen and then Saul going throughout the city of Jerusalem and entering house after house and arresting both men and women and putting them in prison, the people scattered. And the Bible tells us that those believers scattered into Judea 
and Samaria. And that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. I want you to start in Jerusalem, but they were going to stay in Jerusalem. And then he wanted to get them into Judea and Samaria, and through the persecution, he moved them out. And then it's interesting that to reach the whole world, the one who started the persecution in Jerusalem, Saul, became the Apostle Paul, and he's the one that took the gospel to the end of the earth at that time as the people knew it. So when we're looking at church today, we think a lot of times of those buildings. And the first church for 300 years didn't even have a building. They met in homes or they met out in public places to proclaim Christ. They had no building until 300 uh, AD when uh, the Emperor Constantinople made Christianity the, the national religion for Rome. And that's when he took all the uh, cathedrals that were built and made them Christian churches as opposed to what they had been before. The church didn't even have a building for the first 300 years. And for us today to think of the word church and to think of that building or the place that we go is not the intention of what Jesus has taught us about church. And I'm very thankful for a man named Neil Cole, and I read his book, Organic Church, and he was the first one that challenged me in this thought. He said in Matthew chapter 16, after Peter made his great confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus commanded him, said, Peter, you know, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. You've got that only from the Holy Spirit, and you're right. And upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. And notice what Jesus said to Peter right there. He said, I will build my church. There's no place in anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus asked any of us as his followers to build a church for him. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, what did Jesus do? He allows us to join him as he builds that church. And that great commission that we talk about in Matthew 28 is our part of what not only Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is going to do to build his church. If we are faithful to what Jesus told us to do, and that's to make disciples of all nations, guess what will happen? His kingdom will spread across the face of the earth, and his church, the living stones of eternal souls, will be added into the kingdom of heaven. And I've spent my life for so long just thinking about, oh, I need to grow this church for the glory uh, of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. That's usurping the Lord's position. He's the one that's going to build the church. And for me to think that I could build a church for him that he would be satisfied with is ludicrous because anything I can do is just going to be wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be burned up uh, at the end of this time. So I need to get in line with what Jesus told me to do, and that's to make disciples. And it's interesting that the term disciple is another word that's kind of changed and evolved in its meaning uh, over the years, especially through the church and our cultural understanding and participation in what we do in our habitual meeting together. It's interesting that we understand that the term disciple, one of the core issues of that is a learner. Those 12 that Jesus called out, he said, follow me. And he began to teach them the things that he wanted them to know. And so we all think about learning. And I've been a part of this for 
most of my adult life and being a part of discipleship groups. And the thing about discipleship groups is they used to be like 13 weeks long, and that got to be too long to people to commit to. Then they dropped down to about you know, six weeks, and now they're dropping down to about four weeks' time. That's about all the busy schedules allow us to do that. But we'll commit to going there and watching a video and filling in blanks or reading a workbook and coming and discussing it, and we'll spend our four or six or 13 weeks. And then the pupils that our disciples will close their book and they'll look at the teacher and say, okay, what's next? Like, what study are we going to go to now? And the word disciple, although learning is involved in being a disciple, we have transformed uh, discipleship into being cerebral and just trying to gain more and more and more information. And we never practice anything about what we're learning And in Jesus' three and a half years in walking with those disciples, he walked with them in such a way that he would give them some instruction. And as he gave them instruction, he would give them opportunity to practice what he just taught them. And so he would send them out. And one time he said, take nothing with you. Don't even take an extra cloak. Don't take extra sandals. Don't take a money bag. Just go and proclaim the good news. And then other times he said, man, you better take everything you've got. And he said, matter of fact, if you have a sword, it might even be good for you to take that with you. And Jesus was just sending them out into the places that he was going to go, but he had trained them to go and he wanted to see how they would do it. And it's interesting that in Luke 10, they come back and they were amazed because even the demons were in subjection to them. But it wasn't because they knew everything. It wasn't because they just knew the truth or they sat in a school and they got their certificate for completion of a course. It's because they went out in the power and they began to practice what Jesus had told them to do. And so the word disciple literally means not just to learn, but to participate in the mission that Jesus is inviting us to join him. And without that participation, the kind of mentoring, the -the on-the-job training, we really aren't making disciples. We're just making students. And there's a lot of difference between being a student and being a disciple. And it comes down to what Jesus, right before he was to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he was teaching his disciples an important truth for them to get a hold of. And they had to know this before they could begin to fulfill what God wanted them to do. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll go to church. If you love me, you will uh, read your Bible. If you love, he, didn't, he didn't say any of these educational things. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. And to obey him, first of all, we've got to know the words that Jesus said. What did Jesus tell us to do? Again, the only mandate that he has given the church is to make disciples. And so if we love him, we will obey him. The other ingredient I think that has been lost in the translation of disciple and discipleship is with all this education process we're going through about doing study after study after study and not practicing it is we don't hold any of those students accountable for how they obey Jesus Christ. They learn this stuff. And we don't give them the opportunity to go out and serve as Jesus gave the disciples that opportunity to go out and serve. And then when they came back, he looked and said, how did it go? And he had a report time. Without the expectation of somebody having to answer uh, the accountable question about how did it go, people are just going to continue just to do their work and not in any way get involved 
and a transforming process of changing not only their own lives, but for them to be an agent to see God change other lives through them. And so I think the discipleship ought to be looked at more like what we saw in the early days of the uh, history of the United States. The fathers would take their uh, sons out with them and teach them how to farm. Or they'd take, take their sons out and teach them how to uh, be a rancher. Or they'd teach them how to even be uh, uh, teachers or lawyers. I mean, they, they literally mentored their own sons to grow up and almost take on the same occupation as they had, but they did it with on-the-job training. It wasn't just going to school and getting a diploma, getting your bachelor's and your master's and your doctorate, and then, okay, now I'm set. Uh, no, it was the, giving them the opportunity to watch the fathers do their work, and then the fathers would help their sons do the same work that they did. Then the fathers would sit back and watch their sons do the work. And then the fathers would release them say, okay, now, son, the business is yours. I'm leaving it to you. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He let them walk with him so they could see what he did. Then he had sent them out every once in a while and give them the opportunity to go do it as he went with them. And then he would even let them go off on their own. But then before he ascended into heaven, he said, okay, the training's over. Now you guys got to go do it. You've seen me walk with you. I want you to go find 12 people, and I want you to invest in their lives to send them out. And so where we congregate in church today, I believe there is a fallacy of what we're doing. And I'm not saying that Getting in large group and worship and praising God is wrong by any stretch of imagination. We all need that kind of encouragement to be with other fellow brothers and sisters and lifting our voice and praise and hearing the exhortation of the word. But if all we ever do is congregate, I believe we're neglecting the mandate of what Jesus told us in the Great Commission about go. The only time Jesus said come is in uh, that great passage in Matthew 11. He said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And when we come to him and he gives us that rest, then he's the instructor, not, not the teacher, but he's the instructor to say, Now go and share this. And so I hope that in considering these words, that you'll get back to the meanings of what these words are, of what Jesus originally had thought, and not let our culture uh, change and, and evolve those words to meaning something different than what Jesus did. And I hope and pray that in thinking of that challenge, it will sink into your heart and the Holy Spirit will convict you whether this is true or not. And then you can look and getting yourself involved in, in a, a small group uh, that will hold you accountable and that will help you learn how to be a part of enlarging and, in the, and expanding the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And I'd like to ask you at this time that if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, if you would, uh, go ahead and subscribe to us. And then if you subscribe, uh, if you wouldn't mind writing this podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you and have a good day.